0: This week, we'll talk about moving from academia to industry. And we have a special guest today, CJ. CJ worked as a postdoctoral researcher at Martin Luther University, which is a university in Germany. And then she decided to move into data science. Since 2018, she's been working as a data scientist, and now she is a data science lead. Welcome, CJ. How's it going? Yeah. Let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far?
1: Yeah. Um, I was an evolutionary biologist for a long time. Um, so I started, I did my undergraduate master's and PhD in evolutionary biology. Um, and then about six months before I finished my PhD, I was thinking, I was like, I'm not sure I want to stay in academia, but that is not the time to make life-changing decisions. (laughs) So I just put my head down, uh, finished up and was like, I can figure this out during my postdoc. And then about a year and a half into a three-year postdoc, I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Um, so I shifted gears, studied a bunch uh, and got an awesome job in industry in Berlin. And I've been a data scientist ever since.
0: What's evolutional, evolutionary biology? So what is that?
1: Very good question. Um, it looks at how populations of organisms evolve over time. Right? So uh, when people see you hear love evolutionary biology and then they're like, and then you ended up in technology. And I was like, hear me out. Uh, so because evolution happens to a population instead of an individual, it's rooted a lot in statistics. And so I think that was one of my edges of getting my first data science job is that I knew more about statistics than anybody else in the room. And cause I'd been doing, you know, building prod, like building experiments, running statistics on the data I was collecting, teaching my students how to do statistics, you know, teaching statistics within the courses, um, and so I had this really solid foundation, uh, but on top of that, because evolution looks at how populations change over time, it's really rooted solidly in math and differential equations, um, and looking at like how population dynamics can change. And so, um, so yeah, it's literally just looking at how populations evolve. Uh, but it gave me a really strong background um, for things that I ended up using in data science.
0: Yeah, because. Um... To prepare for this interview, I was going through your LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. and actually, I got an impression that you were doing uh, also data science stuff uh, back when you were in the yeah. in the academia. Yeah, um, yeah depends interesting. on how
1: you define data science stuff, because I think that's an interesting
0: question. Oh, it says uh, so. I so it says yes, uh, I have a code. Manip- so you were doing uh, these things, manipulating okay. big data sets analysis of A-B tests, working in environments of large and complex data structures, commonly applied uh, uh, advanced statistical and machine learning techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so this sounds like a usual data science job. Yeah,
1: yeah. And absolutely, there was, you know, and it's funny because I still rely on a lot of those tools, right? So like a lot of genomic data is unstructured text files of full of sequent reads. That are like you know three to four gigabytes each and like figuring out how to process those in bash requires like a certain programming knowledge but the things that i was missing were like the deployment component right like i had to google what an api was when i first started as a data scientist and i had to figure out what infrastructure was what a Docker container was um, and all those things so i had i think the theoretical understanding and the backing like a lot of the coding done but I, you can ask anybody at my first job, my first three months, I just like walked around with this look of terror on my face because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but I figured it out. Yeah.
0: Did you need to learn any machine learning or you basically knew everything you needed for? Oh, no,
1: I had to learn a lot of machine learning. Um, most of the background I had in machine learning was very much based on statistical models. And so like they took my first machine learning course and I was like, everyone been talking about it, how it was above, like you know, machine learning, machine learning. And then I looked at it and I was like, the first one you guys talk about is a linear regression and like a logistic regression. I was like, those are just statistical methods <laughs> like that I've been using for years. And so actually my first case study um, for my first job was uh, like you're were, you were supposed to do build a predictive model. So you could predict transactions of individuals. Um, and I sort of cheated because I was like, there's the data was too sparse. And so I just made a proof of concept by combining the data and then like predicting the mean. but. I use a generalized linear model. So it was just like a, uh, it was a GLM that was tied to Poisson distribution, I think. I can't remember the exact distribution I used, but it was li- like just a statistical model
0: so basically you had enough foundation to so for you the theoretical part of data science the theoretical part of machine learning wasn't mm-hmm. scary you could just you could just watch a course and then mm-hmm. apply everything you learned and quickly grasp exactly. all these things so yeah. that uh, in that sense the background you've had as a researcher helped you a lot exactly yeah and then for the things you didn't know so you mentioned you didn't know anything about deployment you didn't know anything about uh, you didn't know what api is Docker, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. Yep. Did you have to learn this on your on the job or you had to learn this okay, not before getting a job, right?
1: No, I feel like I got really lucky. And so it's one of those things, like I said, I get asked a lot from academics, like, how do I move into industry? And I was like, the unfortunate truth is, is like I got really lucky with time and place, and uh and I moved there at a time where I think the field is really competitive now. Uh, but I was very, and they also talked about this a lot uh, at N26, which is my first job. They came back from my interview and just looked at everybody else on the team. And they're like, she said everything you're not supposed to say in an interview. <laughs> but I was very open with them. I was like, here's a list of things that I'm bad at, <laughs> and like you know, uh, but I really want to learn from you guys. I was like, I don't know everything, but I want to learn. Um, but one of those, I was like, I didn't know Python when I started. Uh, so I had to learn that on the job. I didn't know. Um, and a lot, and I, I if I'm being totally honest, I didn't know exactly what a position in data science was going to look like. Right. So I had this, my sister was asking me ahead of time, she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I, you know, manipulate data, use data to gain insights, like make data into value. And she's like, yeah, none of those mean anything. I was like, I know. <laughs> but until I started the job, I wasn't sure what that was going to be. And then it was a hard crash course, but I think there were a couple of things that helped me succeed. So one is that and a couple of them came from academia. So if one thing in academia uh, is that you need to be able to teach yourself stuff, stuff, right? So at this point, I had 14 years experience teaching myself how to do things and teaching myself how to learn things. Um, and so I did a lot of that. And uh, I think uh, one of my colleagues is listening, in, so she, they can attest to this, that uh, my comp- that everybody else in this company started at 10. So the key, four hours were 10 to 6. And I was usually in the office like between 6 and 7, and I spent those hours between like You know, whenever I got in and 10, when 1030, when our team did our standup, just learning new things. And everyone's like, you know, you don't need to be in here this early. And I was like, you know, I don't actually know what I'm doing yet. Right. (laughs) So I spent a lot of time uh, then figuring it out. And then I had incredible colleagues who were willing to sit down and do a lot of pair programming with me, which is like still my favorite tool um, with new people is just to sit down and have two people working together to solve the problem. And then I could see how to solve the problems by myself. But yeah,
0: I didn't know any of that when I started. That's that's cool. I'm I'm just trying to think. Uh, so some people are listening for this and, thinking, and they're thinking, OK, now I also have this theoretical foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. I know statistics well. I know machine learning well. But how can I convince a potential employer that okay. uh, they should hire me and then I learn everything on the job? Like, let's yeah. say, uh, if you don't know Python, if you don't know deployment, you don't know API, Oh, All yeah. you know, you know statistics well, you know mm-hmm. machine learning. So, how do you convince uh, an employer to hire you? And then, uh, you, how do you convince them that you will learn everything, let's say in three months and will be able to start being useful?
1: It's a very good question. And again, I think I got really lucky. But um, from the other side now, so like now I'm leading and building a data team. And so I can speak to what I look for Um, in people who might not have a lot of experience. And I am like specifically going to be hiring two new junior people uh, in the spring, but um, what I'm looking for is three things, right? Like that they're reasonably smart, right? Like that they can pick up on concepts quickly, that they um, are able to learn, or no, that they have the ambition to learn, right? They're open to learning and trying new things and that they can take feedback, right? So if you're not open to learning new things and you're stuck in your way, it's going to be a problem. Um, And if you get really defensive when I say like, hey, maybe you should do this differently, then it's going to make it hard. But if you have those three things, I don't care what you know, right? Like I can teach you anything. But if you have those three things, then like those are the kind of people that you want to invest in as a junior. So from the counterpoint, if it was somebody who's like, how can I get my foot in the door? I think demonstrating those things like, you know, you don't have to, I don't want to, I don't need to see your crazy CV or crazy portfolio, especially for a junior position or an entry position. I want to see that you have the ability to pick up things quickly and that you can take feedback.
0: How do you yeah. test this during the interview?
1: Ah, I'm brutal. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> actually really nice. <laughs> um, so so like, that's the, I think this is one of those things you think a lot has an academic. Uh, is like, how do you define smart? And so you can see, and because it, this is one of those skills that transferred really well, um, is it's somebody's ability to like absorb and synthesize new information, right? So like figure out what I'm telling them and then synthesize it with the, what they already know. And you can just ask questions about like, you know, uh, tell me about a problem that you've worked on and then I'll start throwing like curveballs at them and be like, oh, do you mean like this? And see how they respond to that, right? Mm-hmm. And then if they can take feedback, I just flat out ask them. I was like, tell me about a time when you were wrong. You know, and I think that's a very different question. I had somebody answer this the other day and they told me about a time that they had failed. And I was like, that's not what I was asking. I was like, tell me about a time when you were wrong. Like, I can give you a list of the ways that I'm wrong. I'm going to run a whole series at one of the universities in Stockholm about ways that machine learning algorithms and production fail. But like, I think like being able to admit like, hey, I was wrong about this. And like this is what I wanted to learn from that, and here's how I changed it in the future. It means that you're open to the possibility that you can be wrong, and you're open to other people telling you that. And I think that's important.
0: Since you mentioned that you'll be soon hiring juniors, I guess mm-hmm. many people are taking notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's tricky to to check, like mm-hmm. all these three things, yeah. and uh, um. But I guess companies also, they check the theoretical background. So like how well you know all these things. Uh, Do you remember how the interview actually looked like for you? Like when you were transitioning, like the the interview with N26?
1: Yeah, I remember it very distinctly. I have a good memory, but this one stands out in my mind because it was like such a weird experience. But yeah, (laughs) Um, what the interview process was or like what it... Okay, it was really easy. Um, So I had... (laughs) I got so lucky. I had a friend in Berlin who had gone on a Tinder date with a guy at N26 and she was still (laughs) in contact with him. And so she told me, she was like, CJ, do you need a hookup? And I was like, cause that was, you know, I I applied to four positions. This again, luck. I applied to four positions. I had one interview. I got the job and it was like my number one choice. And so like, this doesn't happen anymore. Like this is not something that happens these days. I got lucky, but, um, but so And 26, I skipped the recruiting step because I was a referral. And they sent me a case study and I spent like a solid week working really hard on this case study. Um, And at the time, all of their deployments were in Python. But at the time they said, you could do this in Python and R. um, Because they're like, we don't care about the programming language. You just want to see that you know the the concepts. And so I did it in R because that was my native language. And so sent in this case study. A week later, they contacted me we like to interview you. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and so I sat down with the two data scientists at N26 at the time. And like I said, it was like an hour and a half interview. And I was just like, you know, here are all the things I don't know. And like, yeah, I'm really excited to learn from you guys and all the things you're not supposed to say in an interview. But I think they appreciated the honesty. And I felt like I felt more, confident from that point forward. Cause I was like, they know exactly what they're getting, right? Like I don't have to have imposter syndrome. Like they know my failings before I get in the door. I don't have to pretend to be, cause everybody else said, did you fake it till you make it? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Um, and then after that uh, it was two weeks. And then I had a, a interview with the, uh, at the time CDO. Um, so chief data officer. and And he was just like, and I'd studied Python in between. I was like, you know, no Python terms. And, uh, and yeah, he, at one point literally pulls out a computer and was like, walk me through what this Python code is doing. And I could pick up logically what was happening, but I didn't know any of the syntax. And so we talked about that. And then, you know, two days later, I had a job offer.
0: Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. Easy.
1: Yeah, it was very easy. It was, it was a lot of luck, but I walked out of the first interview and keep in mind up to this point, I've had 14 years as an academic, right? So I've spent my whole life in labs and universities. And I walk out of this interview in this like super cool, like startup tech, like everyone walking around looking like cool startup tech people, office. And I get to the sidewalk and I just bent over, laughing so hard. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe this is my life right now. I can't believe that this is where I am. But I was like, it was time to leave academia. And so I was like, I guess we're moving forward. But yeah, it was bizarre.
0: Did it take a lot of time for you to? Like when the idea occurred to you that, okay, you want to try something else to actually, you know, your first day yeah. at 1026?
1: Yeah, it was so. about a year, a little over a year. So I um, I was in London, uh, which is one of my favorite cities in the world, uh, visiting a friend in January. And I, it hit me like all of a sudden, I was like, it had been building up for a while. So I was like, death by a thousand cuts. But that was the final cut uh, where I was just like, I want to be able to choose to live in a city like this someday. And if I stay in academia, that's never going to be possible, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to be able to make choices about my life. I'm not going to be able to choose where I want to live. Never going to have enough money to do things like this. Uh, And I was like, so it's time to go. (laughs) But I looked at my schedule and I was like, at that point in January, I had committed to a number of, I committed to teaching that spring. I committed to field season that summer. I had a couple of PhD students and master's students. I needed to get, get into a good position before I left them. And I had a huge talk that I'd been given, invited to give a talk at this conference at the end of August. And so I was just like, okay, I'm going to shelve that idea until August. And so I just worked really hard as an academic, knowing I was going to leave, but continue working really hard until the end of August. And then I came back from the conference and completely shifted gears uh, and tried, you know, rewrote my CV, did a Coursera specialization in data science to get more broad view of it. Uh, And then started applying to Berlin and the, or applying to companies in Berlin in the middle of November, and started at N twenty six in the beginning of February.
0: Okay, can you tell us a bit uh, about this uh, rewriting your CV? Because I told you that when I was reading your LinkedIn, and I don't know how many iterations uh, you did there, but it sounds very data science related stuff. Yeah. So I yeah. could see like you already were doing all these data science, science stuff before you were officially doing this. But I didn't and, know. Go ahead. Yeah. I guess this is uh, like more like a framing question. Like how do you put all these 14 years of experience in such a way that people want to hire you? Yeah, right?
1: it was hard. It was. And I'm very, again, I'm super lucky. I had really good friends who were willing to help me. Uh, and at, because I had really good friends who were willing to help me, who had been in industry for a while. I am now always, I mean, people are gonna contact me now, but I'm always willing to help other people. Like random people ping me on LinkedIn and be like, hey, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I'll look at your CV, like, yeah, we can talk through interview, like, yeah, of course, I'm happy. You know, I'm pretty active on the data talks career channel because I'm like I had help. (laughs) I couldn't do this by myself. And so I feel like I owe the world like uh, help in return because I got really lucky. But so my friend um, Penny and I, because I was like, okay, how do I rewrite my CV? It's like six pages long. Um, I know nobody's going to read that in industry. And so my friend Penny and I did a weekend trip to Italy and she's like, bring your computer. And I was like, okay. And we're in Cinque Terre and she hands me a bottle of wine. She takes my computer. She looks at my CV, and she highlights all of the talks and all of the publications. And then she hits the delete button. And I was like, "Oh,
0: (laughs) that hurts."
1: (laughs) I was like, "That basically hurts." And she's like, "Drink the wine." (laughs) But then I, you know, I had her to help, and then I had a couple of. I reached out to a couple of female data scientists, and I was like, "You know, how do I do this?" And they were like, "You need to emphasize the skills that you have, that that you've developed in industry." rather than the things that you've done right so instead of talking about like this is the research I did during my phd i was like here are the skills that i learned while doing the research during my phd and so i you know didn't plagiarize but i would read other people's stuff and be like oh that also applies to me or like oh that's also something that i can put on my list or like oh and then like reformatting it so you know but the education section was at the bottom and like you know like the, it doesn't matter anymore where I went to school or like what my degrees are, <laughs> uh, but like rather like what the skills were that I picked up while I was doing those and 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 reformat. But it was it was genuinely like I I had good friends and was very lucky and uh, a nice bottle of wine because oh, it hurt.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, most of academics have to deal with um, large data sets at some mm-hmm. point. At least, yep. like in STEM, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like when you have to process by a large data sets, like even, um, for example, I know that my uh, mother, she's uh, she's working in ecology, so mm-hmm. she needs to process uh, weather data, for example. To, she's doing that yeah. in Excel. Um, sometimes she asks me for help uh, mm-hmm. to, to process, but yeah, I can see like how you can reframe this, uh, what she's doing into, yeah. in such a way that it sounds like, um, you know, what data scientists do. Right. So I think it's like
1: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. But no, I had luck. I had help.
0: Mm-hmm. How many iterations did it take uh, for your CV before, like, uh, so you had this CV, six pages long CV. You had this bottle of wine and yeah. your friend. So you were doing this. So how how many? I don't know how many times you needed to redo the whole thing before you started applying.
1: Oh, the whole thing. I don't know. I I did about fourteen iterations. So I did this with my friend Penny, and then, um, and then I had two different women in industry who, who just were kind enough to look over my CV. And then I had a few other friends from my cohort during my PhD. My friend Roxy had already transitioned into industry. She's now, um, I'm not going to, I don't want to plug her, but, uh, but she's doing incredible work. And she's gave me really good feedback. And then I had my friend, Simon, um, who was also transitioning to industry at the same time I did. Uh, And so I had, you know, like, like as a typical academic, right. I had, I did the first iteration and then I sent it out to literally everyone um, and heard, got all of the feedback. And then um, I talked to a couple of friends who are recruiters and I was just like, Hey, can you take a look at this and see what's important? Cause you're right. A lot of it, um, you know, they're like, make sure that you have a PDF version make sure that the font is something that's machine readable. Yeah, like, right? You know, exactly. Yeah. And like, make sure that it's machine readable because like a lot of people use scanning software to like reduce the number of, resumes that they have to look at and like, you know, so that's why those buzzwords are important and yeah. And I had LinkedIn premium at the time, my friend, um, Jessica, she was like, you should pay for LinkedIn premium. And so, which I almost never, like LinkedIn asked me to pay for premium, like twice a week. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Uh, but at the time I actually did because it allowed me to see the skills that other people were listing as like their skills. And when I just sat down and was like, what are my skills? I was like, I don't know. I can't do anything. But then when I started looking at what other people were listening to their skills, I was like, actually, I can do that. And I can do that. And I can do that. And so it allowed me to like build up this word skill set based on what other people had also done and that I could then attribute to myself.
0: Mm, yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing. And then you said, <laughs> uh, you mentioned the Coursera specialization, and there is a comment in uh, live chat uh, people ask for a name that specialization. What yes. Is
1: it? It's old school. It was the John Hopkins data science specialization.
0: So it was Ah, like- The one with her, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And it was like, I mean, this was fall of 2017, Uh, but I was like, and I still, I think it didn't teach me a lot of the coding things that I needed to know, but I think it gave me a good broad view because it's 10 classes, right? So it gives you a good broad view of the field and like all the different things that you can inspect in data.
0: Do you think, uh, would you recommend this course now? Or do you recommend, would you recommend something else?
1: I think it depends on what you want to go into. I think, oh. because I think that that course, um, I should also mention, <laughs> I'm a bit of a masochist and I didn't have any money. So I looked at it and it was like, the prices was not per class, but per month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, each one was supposed to be one month. And so it was like a 10 month class. And I was like, I can't afford that. I don't have that kind of time and money. And so I, I looked at it and I set myself a schedule where I did one course a week. And that way oh, wow. I only had That's to do it for like, stuff. yeah, I only had to do it for two months. So there was also a four day weekend in there because it was fall break. And so I did, I managed to get all of them done in like two months. And so I didn't have to pay for that much, <laughs> but <laughs> I was, I was really focused with the time and really ambitious, but I think it was, it's good for where I am now because now I'm leading both data scientists and data analysts and data engineers. But at the time, and at the time, it was really good because, again, it gave me this broad view. But if it was somebody today, I think a lot of the field has become a lot more specialized. And so I'd ask somebody, like, what are you interested in, right? Because I think I think everybody should take Andrew NG's machine learning course. I think he does just a fanta- fantastic um, job of explaining things.
0: The one we um, talked off, right? The, the old yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah, old that's... one. I think it, that's really, that's, uh, this is where I started. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly, mission. exactly. And it's really good. Uh, and I think he does a really good job of explaining complex things in a very simple way, which by the way is one of the most important skills that you need as a data scientist. And I think one of the things that I, uh, I get the the strongest skill I have from academia is being able to explain complex things in a simple way. And I think that was, um, that's really good to emulate. But I also think if, you know, I know a lot of people are really into deep learning. I think fast AI has A really great platform for learning deep learning. Um, I think if people are more interested in statistics, I could, you know, like there's a couple of Bayesian courses that I think would be really good. So it depends on what people are interested in now. Um, and then I would send them in a different, different mm-hmm. specific direction. Yeah.
0: Okay, so you rewrote your CV, you said mm-hmm. you had 14 iterations, mm-hmm. then yeah. you took uh, uh, like a marathon course marathon so you finished yep. this specialization instead of like 10 months in two months mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right and then you decided to to move to berlin right so you selected berlin because you were in germany right you weren't in berlin yet so you just selected the closest uh, tech hub or why berlin? it was
1: it was almost more organic than that <laughs> It was like i was living because i i when i moved from the u.s i wouldn't i didn't even berlin wasn't even on my radar of places i would ever want to live Um, But living in Halle, um, which is like an hour and a half south at the university, I would have to go to Berlin to fly out, right? Like Halle has an airport, but it doesn't really fly anywhere. And so like I spent a lot of time in Berlin and like in that year and a half I was living in Halle, I fell in love with Berlin. And so it wasn't just that it was the closest city. It was the, the one, it was the place that I wanted to live then. And so, so then I started, yeah, I started looking for jobs in Berlin, but I also had Uh, At that point, in my mind, a list of places I wanted to be because uh, I really liked the product. So, at that point, I was already an N26 customer, and I was like, I think this is a great product. Like, especially as a foreigner, like being able to get a card that works quickly, that you can do like fully mobile, that. You know, I can talk in English.
0: In, you speak uh, yeah. English to the support right? and they exactly. reply back in English.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, which, which
0: is not that huge. common.
1: <laughs> not common at all in Germany. And so like I liked the product and I, there was a couple other companies I was looking at. I was talking to Get Your Guide, but I didn't have a reference there, so I was a little bit behind. Um, and then there's a data science consulting company who gave really good talks in Berlin. They had a whole fantastic seminar series um, and I interviewed with them, uh, but just the initial interview. But yeah, so it was—I was like, I love travel. Get your guide seems cool, and like, get your guide's blog was amazing, uh, and so I was attracted to them. So I only applied to those three companies.
0: Mm-hmm. So you did uh, pretty thorough research before and So it wasn't like spray and pray. You were mm-hmm. like sele- very selective.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's so funny because it's so different from when I when I was leaving N26. I did the the you know the numbers game, the spray and pray. But when I was applying for my first position, I was, I did all of this, like I would read up and I'd be like, do these people look happy? Does this founder look good? And I told my friend Jessica this, and she's like, CJ, it's gotta be more like Tinder. Like you just gotta keep swiping. Like you can't fall in love with a person until like, you, you know, they respond. And she's like, cause otherwise you're going to get your heart broken by somebody who doesn't even know you exist. And I was like, and so that's the advice that I give now, but that's definitely not what I did. I was just like, this product is super cool. I want to work at the people who build this. Um, and then I met the people who were there and I was like, I really feel like I could learn from these people. And I could, and I was right, I learned a ton. I had amazing colleagues. So I got really lucky.
0: Yeah, you were saying, you keep saying that you were lucky, but um, if I summarize what you did, like you did 14 iterations of your own DRCV. Yeah. So you took uh, this long specialization in two months mm-hmm. and then you also were very selective. So you selected companies well, like for example, at least sent twenty six you knew it, the company already, you were a customer, you knew the product. and uh, yeah, maybe it wasn't just luck at the end. <laughs> it,
1: it was uh, a lot of luck, but yeah, um it was also a lot of work.
0: yeah, because uh, like at the beginning you said you just got lucky, like people just hired you, but uh, there is more to that then than just than just that yeah. okay but now your advice would be to apply to more companies not to select a few but apply let's say i don't know, take a city and then apply to all the open positions or how would you approach now
1: um no i think i would still like i would i would have increased my numbers right like i would have um so like after i was leaving on twenty six. <laughs> so one of my best friends is the head, still the head of data analytics at N26, and he knew I was applying when I was leaving. Uh, and I got my first rejection. and I was like, oh, I got rejected. And he's like, you're going to have to get over that. <laughs> he's like, you're going to be getting a lot of those. But at that point, like I, you know, I've been so selective the first round that I wasn't familiar with this feeling. But I think s- still, I'm, you know, I'm one of, my little sister always says that she's like, find what you love and do it in the evenings and weekends. And I'm never going to be that person. I was like, I love what I do and I'm passionate about it. And so I'm looking for a space where I can be passionate and like, I can be invested in what I'm doing sometimes too invested. But, um, but so even then I would go through job ads and be like, you know, does this look like a cool product? Like, do these look like, you know, does this look like a place I could really pursue and really be invested in? But you know, in the second iteration, when I was I applied to like 20 positions and, you know, kind like f- went through the interview process with, I like, got a lot of rejections. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a much more, uh, I applied to many more places because I think, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think the market's a lot more competitive now mm-hmm. than it was four years ago.
0: Yeah. And then um, the second job you had uh, was also in Berlin, it was Klarna, right? It was. Yeah.
1: I was at, I moved from one fintech to another.
0: Okay, so was it difficult for you to make the, 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 the move?
1: Uh, I hate onboarding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I think, so was it difficult to make the move? It was easy to make the decision. Klarna was again, you know, when I, the Klarna interview process is a lot longer. Uh, and so I had four interviews back to back and I walked out of each of the rooms for the interview and I was like, I was not the smartest person in the, that room. And that's a great position to be in when you start somewhere new, right? Like I if you can start in a position where like other people are teaching you things then like your growth potential is huge. And so I was like, this is a company I wanna to go to because it was like, at the time there was 36 data scientists uh, and like the, if data science is really and machine learning is really embedded in the product. And so it's like, this is a place where I can really learn a lot um, and learn from really cool people, but the first two weeks, it's the same as everywhere, right? Like even in my current position, the first two weeks you go from a place where like you know a lot and like you are comfortable in your space because you know the product, you know the company, you know who to ask if you have problems, right? To a space where you know nothing, right? And you have to relearn all of those things and you have to relearn those connections and you have to, you know, you, you don't even know where to go to get the information. And so like the first two weeks at Klarna, it was like very much. I was just like, "Ugh!" <laughs> like, why? All of my friends were at N twenty six. Like I knew everything there. I was very comfortable. Why did I put myself in this position where I'm once again uncomfortable? Um, so I hate onboarding, but uh, but after you get up to speed, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed my work there.
0: And this is how you moved to Sweden, right, through Klarna? Yeah. Okay, yeah. because they had a, a different position in uh, in Sweden, and this is how you moved. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, there's no way for me to say this without sounding arrogant. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was working on it. Yeah. Uh, I was looking, I told my manager, I was like, you know, she, and she and I are still really good friends. I told her, I was like, I really want to try out Stockholm. I was like, I've been in Berlin for a while. I want to try Stockholm. And, uh, she's like, okay. And so I started looking for a new position in Stockholm and about two weeks into looking for a new position in Stockholm. She's like, I can't afford to lose you. I'm just going to move you to Stockholm. You can work mm-hmm. remotely. And I was like, Cool. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. Ah, but, so it wasn't for a position because uh, there is also an office there. Is there not?
1: Yep. Yeah. So there's a there's a uh, our, the main office for Klarna is in Stockholm. And mm-hmm. so um so it wasn't for a different position within Klarna. It was for the same position on the same team. But she was willing to move me because I wanted to go.
0: Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's say somebody right now uh, lives in a small town in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, works as a postdoc at some university doing some mm-hmm. science. And yeah. then uh, they hear that data science is cool. Mm-hmm. Right? So they think, okay, maybe I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So for that person, um, yeah, and they of course want to move to Berlin or you know some other city. Yeah. So for that person, what should they do? Like how should they approach uh, uh, from there they are now? to you know, a company startup in Berlin?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think the biggest thing you can do is to do things like to try to, to start engaging with the data science community in Berlin, right? I think it's one of the great things about Berlin and Stockholm, but very much in Berlin is that it's such a thriving data science community and people across different companies are super stoked to like talk and work with each other, right? So the first step for me first piece of advice now would be, you know, go to virtual meetups, go to them in person, if you can manage to be in Berlin, Um, you know, like start meeting people, start talking to people about their work. And like, in my experience, like most of the people, because it's such a great data science community are like super stoked to help, right? They're like, you know, hey, I've heard, and and also everybody's hiring, right? Like, hey, you know, "I, I heard you are interested in this, like, maybe you should apply to this one. Or like, you know, hey, I'm looking for people like you. You know, maybe we should talk more. But like, I think getting into that community it would be the first step if somebody was working as a postdoc and, and needed to get in there. Um, I'm remark. I've always said I'm remarkably bad at networking because uh, I have friends who're like got to work the angles, you got to meet the people so they can figure out how they can do the things. And I was just like, I'm not that. I'm just like, I want to, everyone to be my friend. <laughs> and, so, and so I tend to, to talk to a lot of people and I have a lot of people in the data science community, but it's never like, you know, make sure that everybody's good. It's just like, hi, you want to get a beer? My name's CJ. <laughs> but I think that can take you uh, take you a really long way.
0: Okay. Then uh, what else?
1: Um, I I think, I honestly think that's enough um, because I think, like I said, most people for entry-level data science positions are looking for the same thing, looking for smart people who are willing to learn. And and so like, you know, once you start interacting with people in the data science community and it's, you know, obvious that you're willing to learn, then I think, uh, you know, everybody's hiring. And so, especially right now, uh, I think that would be a good, good way. And then once you have your foot in the door, you know, the rest is history. Right.
0: But uh, we also mentioned uh, like half an hour ago when we Mm -hmm. started that now maybe companies don't just do one interview and hire people. The process is more complicated these days. So the requirements are a bit higher. Mm -hmm. Um, So, what do you think uh, now are the minimal requirements like to start the job? What do you need to actually know?
1: Excellent question. Um, And I can say from the Klarna hiring pipeline you probably have to be better at writing code than I was when I started. I think that's the the most obvious one is, is that like the technical test is I think a lot more, a lot more arduous, even for really junior people. Um, I think, you know, learning learning and understanding what clean code is and what good coding practices are for data science, uh, I think
0: is is gonna
1: be crucial. And how uh, to
0: do that, you know? Uh,
1: I didn't learn how to do that till after I started. But the way that I learned how to get better at at programming, and I still do this, a friend of mine asked, a data scientist friend of mine asked me this today, like, how do I get better at writing code? And I was like, find somebody who's better than you are and just pair program with them every week. So I have a fantastic colleague that I worked at with at both N26, and then they followed me to Klarna. And they are much better at Python programming than I am. Um, They've been doing it since they were little. Mm-hmm. And so I blocked a time on our schedule for like a solid year when we were at Klarna and for mm-hmm. an, an hour every week, we called it. it <laughs> I have all of the meetings in my calendar named bizarre things, but our meeting was called stuff and things. And we would just meet up and do, we pick one lead code problem and then we pair program it for an hour every week. And so then I could learn how he approached things. I could learn about algorithmic things that I didn't know. Um, at that point I, my first manager was really strict on clean code. And so Um, I learned a lot of clean coding practices from that, but peer reviews, um, uh, the four, I, you know, getting good part, like a good PR review process and like learning from how other people would do things. I think all of that's really good, but that all happens for me, all that happened after I started in industry. And so if I was a, you know, if I was in a postdoc, the advice I would give, find somebody who's better than, than you are, who you can learn from and like, you know, really really go at that. But that's also something that's really different between academia and industry. Like one of my colleagues at Klarna was brand new uh, out, of in, like out of academia and he did a math PhD. And he and I had a long conversation about how he needs to get better at collaborating. Because in academia, when you collaborate, it's like, we're going to do this project together. I'm going to go in this room and do this part of the project by myself. You're going to go into that room and you're going to do that part of the project by yourself. And then we're going to smush it together at the end. And I was like, in industry, when we say collaborate, I mean, we're going to sit next to each other. There's going to be one keyboard and we're going to, you're going to have to feel comfortable looking stupid. (laughs) It's like, you have to feel comfortable admitting that you don't know everything. And I think that's a big barrier to get over. But once you get over that, you learn so much. So that would be my big thing.
0: Yeah, thanks. So your suggestion would be to look around you and find people who are better at coding than you Mm -hmm. and pair with them. And then perhaps offer something in return. Yep,
1: exactly. Cookies are a great (laughs) offer.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And it goes back to the first step, which is networking, right? Yeah, exactly. And would would that be enough? So networking and then um, code. Uh, There is a comment about uh, publication in top data science journals as first authors. Do you think Mm -hmm. that would be an important thing to do? No, unless
1: you're in your slurpline there's one um, there's one team at clarna that does research exclusively um, and they do really awesome research and they're a super fun group of guys um, I have an ongoing debate with one of them about the utility of Bayesian statistics but uh like they're super great but I think most people in industry don't have a background in academia and so they don't care the publications that you've done right um I always look up people's papers. If I see that they've published on LinkedIn before I interview with them, I'll like get a background. So I understand, but unless you're applying for a research position in an industry, like that's not, that's not a, that's not a skill that's, that's valued. I don't think.
0: What do you think about the project portfolio and pet projects? Do you think it's important to get a job in data science?
1: Uh, for me, it's not, but I think, for when I'm looking for people, it's not, but I think with other people it might be. So I think if the, the person you're interviewing with has a background in engineering, and then I think it makes a difference because they like to be able to see what you've done. If I've seen that, my first thought is, is like, I like that you've put in the effort, but that's so far is so far away from real world data that like, it's not going to be particularly, you're not going to be able to use a lot of those techniques in real world production. Right. And so, um, I had a junior data scientist I worked with at Klarna and she was brand new. So I just started, came out of her master's. She was like, I even gave her, I didn't even have her do the, the data training data. I was like, here's a giant training data set. And she was like, I had no idea how much of this was going to be cleaning the data. Like the data sets always come nice and clean when we do them in school. And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not what it looks like I'm terribly sorry um so I, that's why i think i put less value a lot of pet projects in my experience for data science tend to pull from you know the really easy to find and the really clean data sets and those
0: mm-hmm. aren't always very mean i guess the, the projects you did uh, in academia they weren't clean you had to oh clean them a lot. so no, that no, could no, be no. a good portfolio project right to say okay i have this massive amount of data, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, like genomic data, yeah. uh, like from you mentioned, like three four gigabytes, and then you needed to do some bash stuff to yeah. uh, to digest yeah. that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think, but and I think a lot of that. So even now, when I have a massive data set and I'm trying to figure out like how I need to parse it, I'll usually turn to bash first. But um, but I think that's harder to translate, right? Because if I tell somebody like, "Oh yeah, I you built you know some de novo," transcriptomes on like long and short sequencing reads like that means something to somebody in biology and if I'm going for a biotech job yeah it's super important put it in there but I wasn't going for a biotech job I was going for mm-hmm. a fintech job and like those words don't meet anybody anything to the people I'm applying to so I guess maybe uh and I, people always tell me this: I should tailor your CV to the job you're applying for and I tend to tailor my speaking style to who I'm applying for like don't use jargon with you know, if, if, if I think the person isn't going to stand the jargon, I'm not going to use it. Um, and I think that that's for me in the past, but it depends on what you're doing and what you're looking at. And mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, and then we have a question about, uh, like, when you transitioned from uh, academia to industry, did you have to adjust your way of communicating and interacting with colleagues? Oh, about, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. How- Was it difficult for you?
1: (laughs) Uh, I really hope that nobody who was at N26 when I first started is in this conversation because uh, it was incredibly difficult. (laughs) And they will tell you all of the mistakes that I made. Um, But I like there were mistakes that were easy to learn from. So one of them was, I I, I say this to people now, uh, especially if they're giving talks, I was like, nobody likes feeling stupid, but it was really hard for me to adjust. This is so arrogant. It was hard for me to adjust the idea of, Knowledge that I thought everybody knew. Right. And so I use the example I was talking to a program manager, no project manager, um, and we were talking about this A B test he'd done. And he really wanted to understand like whether or not it was significant. And so I ran the statistical analysis for him. And then I was talking about p values and like, and he's just like, okay, CJ, I need to stop. I have no idea what a p value is. And I was like, oh, okay. It's <laughs> like, let's take a step back, <laughs> you know, but um, so things like that. But also, Um, everything like I like the whole idea of slack I cannot tell you like again I started and I was like brand new industry you know brand new job brand new city like complete career change I was scared to post like emoji responses on slack to what other people were saying for the first week I was just like I was like oh my god what if it's the inappropriate thing what if I'm doing this wrong and so like that was a whole means of communication that I had to learn better like you know how to there was so much Um, But a lot of it was, a lot of it was cultural. And I think the biggest thing for me is this realization that in academia, everybody has a similar experience, right? Like if you get to be a postdoc, then you know that like every single person who's done a PhD there might be some edge cases, but everybody knows what it's looked like to have like, okay, I have $2 in my hand and that's all the money I have to feed myself for the next two weeks, right? Like you have this shared experience and like, okay, I've defended my dissertation. It was incredibly difficult. I cried in the hallway, you know, but, or like everybody has these shared experiences. And so like, as you move forward in your careers in academia, you have these shared experiences that you can bond over. And that doesn't exist in industry, right? Like I was, I remember- we were in the bank and we were talking about uh, doing an overdraft experiment and they're like, Oh, we'll just, if shoot a couple of people, 250 euros in overdraft. And the bank was like, the people in the bank were like, who's ever going to use 250 in overdraft? That's no money at all. And I just looked at them. I was like, Oh, you've never been poor, but like, we didn't have these, you know, these things that were shared that like you can rely on in terms of the culture and academia. And so I had to shift the way I was communicating with colleagues and uh, not just like the tools and not just like the, you know, idea that I assumed everybody knew this, but also like the, the, sh- the shared experience that no longer existed.
0: It's, uh, yeah. Somebody's writing in Slack that they have to, they're going through the exact same thing uh, yeah. Slack, with Slack right now.
1: It was terrifying. Uh, it was so terrifying. <laughs> it was like, yeah. And like all of my, my colleagues there at the time will tell you, like, you know, I just walked around with this, like, terrified look on my face for the first two weeks and I don't have a poker face and so everybody knew
0: (laughs) but yeah also I think in academia at least uh, in the places where I was a student uh, Mm -hmm. or where I visited Mm -hmm. it's always rooms so you have rooms where people sit so it's not open spaces Mm -hmm. so it's a room with two or three people Mm -hmm. but it's rooms and then when you go to industry it's usually like a floor without Mm -hmm. walls and people sit together that's was it also difficult for you to, to get used to?
1: Surprisingly, no. Um, but I think, I, I think I, that, I think that's just a me thing. I could see how that would be a problem for other people. But I, when I, when I get in the zone and I'm really focused, the same thing's true. Like when I'm reading a book, like there could be bombs exploding around me. I will have no idea. Like I, when I get focused, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. And I liked the social aspect of it a lot. Um, so like I said, One of my best friends is still the head of data analytics at N26, but he and I, at the time, the data team was only 10 people. So the data science and data analytics sat right next to each other. And so our chairs were right next to each other and day two, we were immediately best friends. And so like, he made me laugh. So, and I have a really loud laugh, but he made me laugh so much that as the data team grew, and like the data science ended up in a different space and we weren't sitting next to each other anymore, like half of the office commented, they're like, now that Robin and CJ aren't sitting together, everything is a lot quieter around here. Like, <laughs> he wasn't making me laugh as much. And so like the whole area quieted down. And so I could see how it would affect other people, but uh, the open space wasn't, wasn't everything for me.
0: Okay, yeah. um, I'm also curious, like from the skills you had uh, mm-hmm. before, like in academia, we talked about uh, that many of them, they, they were actually useful, like you mm-hmm. know being able to process, to clean data, to process these large amounts of data, like all these statistical things. But what about things that weren't useful, that were maybe even harmful? Were there things like that or not?
1: Yeah. Um, oh, I was asked this the other day and I forgot what my answer was. Um, the Things that weren't useful the competitiveness so I think like I said in, in industry people tend to collaborate more and so like hiding hiding what you don't know and like trying to be like trying to compete with your colleagues I think is really not useful in industry and I think it can get really harmful um, but that's something that's innate into academia because everybody is like cutthroat to beat each other um and I think that was actively and then yeah and I think it I, again, I was really lucky that my team was really collaborative at n six but even then it took me a couple of weeks to feel really comfortable looking stupid in front of other people and I was like in, in academia like everybody everybody's really smart but um, but also you're spending a lot of time trying to be smarter and so like you you don't show as many vulnerabilities and so it took me a couple of weeks to really feel comfortable like being, like, I don't know this. And like, can you help me figure it out? Uh, and I think that was like, potentially can be really harmful. And I think the same thing was true of, um, again, this colleague at, uh, at Klarna who had just come from a math PhD and it took him, it took him about two months to like admit that he didn't know something. And he, he really struggled with that. And it was the same, the same problem where I was like, you know, this is not This is not how we were taught to behave, but this is how you need to behave um, in order to be successful in this new environment.
0: Is there any way to, like, you just need to do this, right? You just need to Mm -hmm. be in that environment and learn and try to to adjust, right?
1: Yeah. So the way that I'm doing it now, because I've got, I'm facing a similar problem uh, at my current position where I'm like leading people and trying to get them to feel comfortable talking to each other. Um, and feel comfortable being stupid in front of each other. And the way that it worked at N26 for me is we had this Russian back, like data engineer who still rules with an iron fist, he's fantastic. And he read the, the, like, the fine print and found out that you could do once a month a team dinner. And so there's a budget for it, but once a month you could take the team out to dinner and the data team was the only team at N26 who did this this often, but once a month we all went out to dinner and just hung out with each other. And so I think a lot of it is like being able to break down the barriers of like establishing that these people are your friends and they're not judging you. Uh, and then the dumb questions can come and then you can feel comfortable asking that. But I'm doing the same thing right now where there's a lot of knowledge silos at my current company And I was like, we're all going to go hang out and eat dinner. We're going to go hang out drinking. Like I'm throwing you guys an event to do this just so that I can get people to feel more comfortable looking stupid. And I talk about how I fail, you know, like I try to get people to feel comfortable enough looking dumb in front of each other, that they are willing to ask each other questions, even if they think in their mind, like, this is a dumb question. Like if you don't ask, you won't know the answer.
0: Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So basically people just need to get to be comfortable with each other to get used to each other and it just takes a bit of time so you don't feel comfortable immediately you just need to give yourself a bit of time and then things become easier i
1: hope so that's been my experience and it seems to be uh slowly working in my current company so okay
0: yeah thanks uh this is an interesting question from matthias Uh, Mm -hmm. is have you had time to research explore a topic that might may, may not have an immediate impact on your job, but led to meet mid- or long-term value. Um,
1: um like actual data science topics?
0: I I think so.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, but I used that time um yes, natural language processing is a like one of my favorite things. And I've employed it in like within other data but I haven't done any full, done many full natural language processing assignments, but I still, you know, again at, at N26 and then at Klarna as well, I use that time in the morning to like study and learn new things and to try, you know, new Kaggle competitions and, and and learn new techniques. Um, and so, although I've never deployed a full NLP model, um, I, I know that those things are useful and now I can help. Like, cause I'm no, you know, I'm now leading people, so I'm not doing as much individual contributor, but we have a couple of assignments that look to be NLP assignments. And so I know I can now help my, other, keep my people learn the skills that they need to so that they can succeed in this assignment, even though like, I haven't actually used it myself yet.
0: Yeah, that's uh, quite an interesting perspective. So mm-hmm. even though it wasn't immediately useful back then, you now used to help your uh, exactly. your colleagues. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And what about Kaggle? Was it helpful for you?
1: Uh, no, because I don't actually compete. <laughs> I just I use it as a source of like cool uh, data sets and neat ideas, mm-hmm. and then I can play around with those data sets and ideas and like try it out. And I also really like I'll try it out myself first and try to solve it. But you know, I was in the hiring pipeline at Klarna, and obviously, I'm hiring now, and it's really interesting to see not how, just how I answer the question, but how other people do. And that gives me, like it's a much deeper experience because then you're like, I didn't think about it from that angle, but now that I've thought about it from your angle, I've now incorporated that into my own mentality of like ways I could approach this problem in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. So Kaggle was useful, but not as a uh, competitive I'm not winning platform. Anymore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's really useful to learn how other people are doing things. There is an insane amount
0: of uh, knowledge there. There's just so much stuff there. Like in each competition, uh, Mm -hmm. like there's forums and in forums, there are discussions and Mm -hmm. there is an insane amount of uh, information there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. um, I know that you wrote a textbook. What was the (laughs) textbook about? (laughs)
1: Oh, this is such a funny story. When I saw you put this down in the list of questions, I was like, "Yes, I wrote a textbook, but it's really funny, and it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have another really good collaborator." So I was teaching this um, course in my during my PhD. It was um, parasitology was the course, and the it? teacher parasitology. So it's parasite, it? the study of
0: ah parasites. Okay.
1: Yeah, um, my PhD is in host parasite coevolution, so it was natural that I would be teaching parasitology. Uh, but the teacher, the professor retired like basically halfway through the semester. And so we were sort of left in this position where I had to write the course. And if you've ever written a course from scratch, it's incredibly difficult, and it takes a ton of time. And it probably put me back about semester graduating. But, you know, I had this colleague, and I was re- I, I had the knowledge. I was like, I know a lot about parasites. I've been studying this for the last you know ten years. I know about a lot about ecology, I know about a lot about the evolution of them, and so I would, and I had some ideas for what we could do for the actual class, and so I would write, and then she would edit it in such a way that it made it friendlier to the students, right? But we, we put together this whole class on like a shoestring budget, we like, you know, got, you know, we we're driving the whole things, wrote the tests, like, you know, set up the website, did the whole thing, and at the end of the semester, she approached the, because I was a graduate student, I was like, everything I do is worthless, but she has a much better sense of self worth. And so she approached the department and she was just like, Hey, we wrote this course. Do you guys want it? And they're like, No, we're not buying anything from you. You guys are free labor. And she was like, Cool, fuck you. And then went to a textbook company. I think Hayden, I looked this up the other day Hayden Millen or something like that. Uh, I forget the exact textbook company, but she approached them and she's like, Hey, we wrote this course and we can turn it into a textbook if you guys are interested. And they're like, Yeah, it sounds great. And so next thing I know, Kim and I, it was, Kim was my colleague. She's incredible. Uh, it's, Kim and I are on this phone call talking about cover art for our textbook. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know how but I got here, sites. but, <laughs> yeah. but this is great. So yeah, we co-authored this textbook together and then they, they set our deadline. And I remember the like four days before the deadline, we had to take all of the stuff that we'd written and put it into chapters that made sense. And we had a schedule. We just sat on her couch. Her husband took care of us. And we just sat on her couch for four days, like rotating between like pairs of yoga pants every 12 hours while he like fed us and did laundry. And we just wrote <laughs> for, like, for like four days. But yeah, it's the evolution and ecology of parasitology.
0: Yeah. So, was there what was uh, on the cover at the end? A parasite or something? Oh, like it so?
1: was this fantastic photo um, from one of our students of a parasite underneath a microscope. Yeah. It's
0: <laughs> <That's> pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, a slightly unrelated topic, but there is a comment from Aaron that there are tools for for team to feel comfortable with each yeah. other. The tools yeah. are liberating, liberating structures, serious games that mm-hmm. uh, people can practice uh, to like for trust, uh, learning, vulnerability, and so on. Yeah, totally.
1: totally. Yeah.
0: Um, do you want to add anything before we wrap up?
1: No, I think you know it was. I feel very lucky because I've been surrounded. You asked me before, you're like, how do you keep finding good people to give talks? And I was like, I've been working with awesome people um, that are willing to teach me cool things. And, uh, and in that regard, it's taken a lot of hard work and I work long hours often. um, And I'm super stoked to be teaching people now, but like, I also feel very fortunate that I've encountered so many awesome people uh, and yeah, get to do something that I love.
0: Yeah, thanks for uh, supplying speakers for Data Docs Club.
1: Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah.
0: So if you have more speakers, please let me I, know.
1: I always have more speakers, you can always talk
0: yeah. to me. <laughs> okay, thanks. So okay. how can people find you?
1: Oh, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, CJ Jenkins. I think there's like, I'm almost always the top choice. But yes, CJ Jenkins uh, on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for sharing That's your fair. experience with us and thanks everyone for being active for asking questions there is quite a few comments in live chat so thanks uh, for being active and uh, yeah, have a great weekend cool goodbye, <laughs> goodbye.